Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really amazing founder. We're going to be learning quite a bit, you know, about uh, everything, everything on the operator side, on the also on the investment side, you know, on how he built, scaled, and sold his company that at the time, you know, was the largest exit, you know, that was ever done in Israel. Obviously, there's been you know many companies that have achieved multiple exits, you know, and with higher amounts since then. Uh, but again, you know, we're going to be quite inspired with his journey. Remarkable individual, uh, and uh, and yeah. Without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Dov Moran. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, originally born in Israel, I know that uh, there you have the army, you have all the all the good stuff that it's mandatory. But uh, but give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Ah, life in uh, going in Israel. You know, first of all, I was I was born sixty eight years ago. This was different Israel from today. Uh, Israel was small. Uh, at my time, I remember we reached 3 million people. This was, wow, we are a large, large country. Uh, it, many people came from the diaspora, from the diaspora, from the Holocaust, actually. They were survivors. My parents were survivors. And when you live in an in, in ecosystem of survivors, this influence sometimes somehow your mind. You are becoming a, a sort of survivor. And uh, uh, but uh, you know a lot of love to the country, a lot of uh, willingness to uh, to to progress, to do things for the country. Everybody went to the army, navy, air force, uh, and uh, a lot. I would say a lot of uh, uh, excitement of uh, the future of us, ourselves, and the country, and what can be done. Now, in your case, you know, how did you get into? the whole engineering thing and, and, and computers, you know, like what got you into that problem, you know, solving and, and especially, you know, early on. So my grandfather, my grandfather was an entrepreneur at Poland before the World War II. And uh, he did a lot of stuff. He, he, uh, he established his machinery place and he's, he built a bank and he imported technology from Italy to Poland to an open and uh, built a factory for uh, silver, or you know, for exports, and uh, uh, and even was involved in uh, in oil and dig, uh, digging uh, equipment. And he came to Israel after losing six of his seven children. He still was an entrepreneur. He still did a lot of things. And I was living in the same room with him. And by the way, we weren't rich. I don't think that people in Israel were rich these days. Living with your grandfather in the same room seems, hey, that's hmm, part of life. I, I think that a lot of what I am came from him because I, I believe that in his uh, last, last years, 18 years that he, we, we lived together, from I was born till he died, his mission was to educate me as an entrepreneur. So uh, he always, I knew from very young age that I'm going to be an engineer. He was an engineer. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to build stuff. I'm going to invent stuff. By the way, he has invention. I went to Poland. I saw a sign. I saw actually the tool. He did. A, he built a very unique tool for a, a oil 
not for for water pumping uh, in Poland with patent that he got for that. And it is you can go to Poland to a museum. It is a city. I, I was I wanted to be like him to be an inventor to uh, establish stuff. So obviously having your your grandfather there, you know, and being able to learn from him, you know, really got that drive. Really is where you got that drive for problem solving. Now, in your case, you know, like uh, as uh, everyone there in Israel, you know, the um, army is mandatory. But rather than going to the army, you decided to go and and get the studies in order before doing so. So how was that transition from being a techion all the way to perhaps being in the army? Because you were in the army, too, for 8.5 years. I mean, that's well, uh, it, it looks naturally because I, I knew that I'm going to study in order to become engineer in the, the army. Actually, I had a very, very unique army service. My day of drafting for the basic training is October 16, 1973. This is in the middle of the Yom Kippur War. And instead of going to do a short training and then go to serve, go to study, and then back to serve, we actually were went into a full, not a full, a one year, almost one year of servicing tanks. So I went to tanks, I went to Technion, back to the army, next to a navy as engineer. And you know, many people in Israel, not many, but there are quite a lot of people in Israel that are doing that every year. The army needs engineers. It's a good pass because you have the ability to study uh, practical stuff at the army or navy before you go to the commercial uh, market and you come to the commercial market with a lot of experience because when you are at the army air force the navy you get to learn a lot you get to a lot of means to develop your stuff to be innovative to actually become a manager when you are relatively very very young so i the period of time in this uh, this eight and a half years in the navy were fascinating we dealt, these were the first days of microprocessors. So my department uh, dealt with microprocessors and formed a, a department that dealt with it theoretically, nothing in, in particular. Uh, we, so I saw uh, how microprocessors are entering into almost any device in the Navy. Uh, and things are happening. And it's a new world and software and hardware and uh, many ideas and, and a lot of uh, really good stuff that could be generated with uh, such sophistication that the microprocessors brought into this market eight and a half years indeed. I mean, eight and a half years, you, you kind of like extended it quite a bit because how, how many years is typically the mandatory? So sales are mandatory, but if you go to this uh, to study before joining the Navy, Huawei, you have to add three, so it's six years. And after wow. six years, they tell me, hey, uh, you can't live now. You have to stay, stay another year. I say, okay, I'll stay another year. And then I was almost finishing saying, no, 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 you know, we, we want you to do this stuff as well. Please, please, please stay six months more. I stay six months more. They drag it until finally I said, I'm leaving. My God. I mean, 8.5 years there. I mean, that's a, that's a long time. So what happened, you know, when you came out? Well, I, I, I saw that I'm smart. I opened my first company, M Systems, uh, or Pre-M Systems. We later on gave it the name M Systems. But uh, I was, uh, I thought, hey, I know, I understand everything. I know how to do software. I know how to do hardware. I know how to manage people. What's required? That's that's enough. 
And I went to establish the company. That was 1989. I mean... Even before, yeah. 1989, we made it. We, we changed the name and actually made it a company because before 1989, I even didn't bother to make it a company. I worked like a private person. I was giving salaries to my employees for my personal account because I went to a lawyer, to an accountant, and I told him, he was my friend from high school. I said, hey, so I want to open a company. Eagle. Eagle, what are you saying? He said, mm, okay, uh, you have two choices. If you open a company, you have to pay 5,000 shekels, whatever number, dollars, every year for the annual report. But if you do it as a personal pay, pay, pay person, you know, private person, it will cost you only 2,000 shekels. I said, okay, I'll make it like a personal, uh, uh, you know, private private person. So it, it, my bill of the bank, of the bank, it was uh, paying to the grocery store, paying to the salaries, buying computer, buying a sofa to my home. Hey, personal. I was so stupid. I didn't have really any clue about how you open a company. Uh, but I learned. And by the way, these times, this wasn't only me. The Israeli ecosystem, there were very, very few startups that were uh, established in Israel before, 19, before 1990. I mean, at that point, there was like almost no ecosystem, right? Nothing like uh, today. So I guess at what point did you end up professionalizing the operation and what ended up being the business model of M-Systems? So in 1980, end of 1988, 19, so 1988, I, uh, uh, I took a decision which was very important in my life. I said, anyway, we are developing products, but the market is not an Israeli market. The Israeli market is small. I, I want to sell in America. I want to understand the American market. I want to improve my English. Uh, which is not great, as you can see, but it's better than it was then. Uh, and I have to go to America. I, I'll keep my company. I'll put somebody to run it, and I'll go to to America, and I'll try to run it, you know, from far, far away. And, and that's what I've done. And somehow I learned about this need of a, a taking flash memory and make out of it something that replaces hard drives. And we changed the name of the company to M-Systems, which was Memory Systems, maybe Moran Systems. Uh, there's a story, funny story about that. Uh, and uh, and uh, we actually became a real company. This was at, uh, actually at 1989. Yes. So uh, tell us about how was it like to ultimately develop a company at that point where, you know, obviously you had no sales. You didn't know what was the difference between sales and marketing. There were no VCs, no no money well, being raised. It. Yeah. Yeah. So how was very it? Like? Tough. <laughs> very tough. Very, very tough. There were times in my life where I didn't have enough money to eat. I'm talking seriously. I did not have money to eat. I can tell a story where my, my wife had to go to Israel uh, and we used all the money we have to buy a ticket for her. And I stayed alone and, hey, there's no money. <laughs> How can I survive? Uh, and uh, But I survived, as you can see. Uh, but, yeah, it was difficult. And uh, But, you know, over the time you learn. You learn that there are investors. You learn that you can get money from strategic investors. You learn that uh, you learn 
what to do. And and we, you know, one thing which I can say about about me, uh, I'm I'm not the, the best one. I'm not the great. I'm not the smartest. I'm, I never was. Actually, I'm exactly the opposite of all of it. When if you think about the race, and everybody is standing there ready to run, if you have to imagine this race, imagine me. I'm the guy that at the beginning of the race don't really understand which direction we have to run. And once the race is out and everybody is running, only then I, okay, yeah, 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 yes, I have to run this way. So I'm running. Everybody's ahead of me. But then people are break up and people don't really learn. Many people don't, don't learn, don't study, don't uh, try enough, don't improve themselves while I'm improving. And 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 then I'm okay. I, I won't say I'm the I'm the first one, but I'm okay. So I see that the phenomena what happened to me after this very very stupid beginning of my first company, I really began to understand the market, understand how to do, understand what's what's marketing, what's the, the American customers need. Uh, I became public in a very relatively uh, very early. Uh, I learned how to raise money. I, uh, and uh, clearly, we came with the invention of the USB flash drive and others. And uh, it, within several years, we became a company with revenues of over a billion dollars, wow. which is not bad for Israeli companies. Not bad at all. And how do you think that you also developed yourself as a founder, as a manager, you know, and going through all the different cycles of, um, you know, of a company? You know, I, I like very much to talk with uh, young students, and uh, sometimes even from high school, because I, my message to them is, guys, uh, don't think that the inventors are the guys who were born the smartest. I, by the way, I, I look at the guys who were the smartest at my studies in techno. I wasn't bad. I wasn't. Uh, I was above the average, clearly. Uh, but the, the guys who were really number one, two, three, four, five. I don't think that they created a big success. And, you know, uh, it's because if you look at the Olympics, you know who is getting the first, uh, the first, the golden medal at the Olympics? Not the guys who were born the best. These are the guys that made, made, they weren't bad, but they, maybe they were supposed to be number 10 or number 45, but they tried harder. They constantly learned and improve themselves, and didn't, didn't give up. Didn't give up on what they are doing. So I don't give up, <laughs> and I learn all the time. I, I just want to tell you, I'm, uh, I, I, did, uh, I did investments uh, a year and a half ago on the quantum computers. I, I have no understanding of it. By the way, it's so difficult, so weird, all this issue of quantum. But I took nights to really read and learn, and you can do it by internet easily, yeah? Learn about quantum physics and quantum computers. Who are the competitors? What are the different methods? And I, I'm now looking at companies. I like very much any, anything related to uh, to healthcare. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I and I, I like materials, and I, I learn a lot, and I I walk many many hours. It's not doesn't come to me easy, but I learn all the time, and I think that that's a difference between. Creating success and not creating success. And I love that because Michael Jordan didn't make the high school team. Tom Brady was one of the last, you know, to be picked, you know, for for the NFL, and and the rest is history, no? So yeah. um, so I love that the, that that analogy that you were putting in there. Now, 
for you, obviously, you know, with uh, M Systems, you know, you were there for 17 years. What do you think kept you so long, you know, with the company? Well, I, I do hope that what I'm doing now, I'll, I'll do even more than 17 years. I, I love what I was doing. We, you know, this is 17 years. It's not 17 years of doing the same. At the beginning, we we tried, we, we had many challenges in technology. And then we had the challenges of growth. And then we added the USB flash drive, which took us into market of, in a way, was B2C. We actually made it B2B2C. But it's consumer product. And, and then we... The market changed when, when we went into mobile, and we had at the time a solution where almost every phone manufacturer uh, was using our solution. By the way, it is used till today. It is a huge cost uh, saving and uh, higher, higher efficiency, higher functionality of storage in the phones, uh, which people are not aware that, to our contribution there. But it's a new market. So... Yeah, again, you have to talk with other companies and then you have to deal with scale and you have to deal with billion dollar sales is a lot. You can't just buy components in the market, which we used to do at the beginning. So you have to go to strategic agreements with uh, Toshiba and Samsung and Hynix and uh, Micron. And you have to get to, to, to know these people who, is, who are running these companies. So every year was a different year. Every activity was still a challenge. There was a lot to learn. And when I saw it, I didn't feel that, hey, I know everything, not interesting. Not... I sold it unhappily, actually. I didn't want to sell. It's a long story. Why do you sell? But I sold it uh, at the feeling that, hey, there is a lot for me to be done and, and to uh, go and succeed this. So 17, 17 years, it went like, just like that. I want to talk about that because tell us about how SanDisk, because, you know, it ended up a really smashing outcome, 1.6 billion of an acquisition, you know, at the time, 2006. At what point does SanDisk, you know, come knocking and, and you said that you were unhappy, you know, selling the business. So walk us through, you know, how this unfolded and, and why, you know, if you were unhappy, why did you decide to pull the trigger? Well, SanDisk uh, was established uh, about a year and a half before M-Systems by a smart guy, which I love. I, I love him. I really love him very much, called Eli Harari. He's still a friend. I just spoke with him about a, a week ago, a week and a half ago. Uh, Eli Harari is a really amazing person. Uh, he, came from, he came from the semiconductors. If you notice the name, uh, SanDisk. Sun, sun is silicon. Silicon is the material, the basic material of semiconductor. We were at systems. We came from the system, from the software approach, software, computers. It was more on uh, the stuff of cameras, stuff like that. But he uh, always uh, kept in contact with me. And, and there were, before the la last, last offer, before the acquisition, there were six or seven times he offered me to acquire. I listened and I said no one time after the other. And uh, the story is that uh, uh, at the last, before we were acquired, there was a time that I won't go into the whole story. It's a complicated story, but there was time that people used to talk about backdating. There was backdating. And Alexander, we were exactly the opposite. We, we were not doing 
big dating day, we, we actually gave new employees options every month. We, we kept the procedures, but we had a problem giving options to our board members, which is truly a pure technicality issue related to the fact that our lawyer came from America and the laws in Israel and America are a bit different. But anyway, since everybody was so much into, hey, backdating, backdating, uh, my, my, my board members were highly concerned. And when they, they went into panic, and I was so angry with them, I was unhappy with their attitude because, hey, we, instead of dealing with the subject, resolve it, move along, uh, they actually tried to hide this issue. Uh, talking about technicality of, did we have conference call here? And then Eliari called me one day when I'm there dealing with my board, with the disability, and he said, hey, Dov, isn't it the right time for us to merge together? I said, you know what? Fuck, let's do it. And, and we, we went to do it. And everybody, you know, that was a, phenomen- a very strange phenomenon because Everybody was celebrating this acquisition. The Sunnis were happy. My employees, everybody was. A, the, the, the newspapers in, the, in Israel were full of head of you know the, the headlines were MC stamps, and uh, and I really went into it very, with a very very bad feeling. It was a, it was because I I didn't see it as a I I, I see it something like a lost like a not like a like a failure, right? But, you know, that's sometimes, you know, failure, success. Who can define what's a failure, what's a success? Absolutely. Well, hey, you know, in the end, you know, I'm sure that uh, it felt good, you know, also to have some liquidity in the bank. You know, why not? So I guess that, uh, you know, gave you an amazing financial freedom. Uh, no, I, I could, since the company was public, I could sell shares. And I, I did sell shares before the acquisition. So it wasn't an issue of financial. I was the only guy, I was the only guy, I was the only guy who went into a lockup. In this agreement, because I could sell shares before, but once there was agreement, Sanis came and said, hey, you, there's a two years lockup, you can't sell shares. And, and then I couldn't sell shares. And then came 2008, where the, the stocks dropped down significantly. So financially, it wasn't the, the most amazing deal that I could dream about. Yeah, no, I hear you. But, um, but hey, an outcome is always an outcome. And in this case, you know, amazing, you know, the outcome too and what you have built from the ground up. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage, 
or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, the next thing, you know, go at it was with Modu. And uh, Modu, obviously, you know, was one of your biggest lessons, especially when it comes about focus. So tell us about what happened with Modu. Well, uh, Modu was a company that I established to do uh, modular fonts. And uh, Modu comes from a module, mod, uh, mo- mood, uh, modus vivendi is the way of life. And coincidentally, that's Moran. My nickname is Duby. So Moran Duby, M-O-U. And the idea was, hey, fonts are going to be a very important part of our life. We saw the picture. The picture was fonts are going to be with a lot of functionality. And we said, we can do, we can have it with a lot of flexibility. We want to make a very small phone. Can I show you one? Let's see it. That's a phone. That's a version. That's a version one of the phone. You don't see how small it is. So I take a regular, a regular yeah. phone. And do you see the difference of sizes? Oh, yeah. For the people that are now <laughs> tuning in and listening, it's like one fourth. Uh, this is smaller even. Uh, anyway, so, and very light and very thin. Very, yeah. And the idea was that you, you can, by the way, you can use it like if, as a phone. You can, you can dial from it. You can take calls from it. You can send text messages as well. But uh, you can put around it jackets uh, uh, and to make it with a large display and, and maybe connect a, a blood glucose monitor into it if you want to. And um, and, and uh, if you want, and when you come to the car, plug it into the car. This was before Bluetooth was so great. Uh, <clears throat> so the idea was very interesting. And, uh, and it failed. Uh, it failed despite the fact that we raised over $100 million for that. And white fed, so there is an excuse and there is a reason. If you ask people in Israel, a uh, majority of the people will say, ah, yeah, of course, model, great idea, but here came iPhone, and iPhone changed the whole market. iPhone actually caused a situation that great companies, well-established, well, uh, you know, very experienced, like Motorola and Siemens and Nokia, and Sony Ericsson, they failed. They failed. And oh, clearly, a small company from Israel that was a newcomer <coughs> couldn't really make a success versus uh, the Big Apple, while the concept was really contradictory. Uh, Apple came and said, hey, this is, a, this is the phone. It's a display. It's a PCB battery between. That's it. All the rest done by software. And which I tried to work on the issue of changing the physical dimensions and the functionality. And uh, instead of you know selling version a new version every every year, Apple One, I mean iPhone One, iPhone Two, iPhone Seven, iPhone Fifteen, what's the latest number, whatever it is. Uh, we said the core is the core. It's it's good enough. Anyway, uh, so you could have more memory, you could have better camera without changing the, the core. The, the idea failed. Uh, and uh, 
But I say, hey, this is this is axios. It's not a realism because if we were if we were really good, we I had if I was really good, I would have to see that the market is changing at the time, at the right time, early, and then change the concept, change the cons, change what we do, and I, we did have several ideas what could we do. Uh, but you know it was too late when we got into these ideas in the sense that it was already impossible for us to raise money to implement this idea and then I asked myself, "Hey, Duby, that's my nickname hey Duby why why were you so stupid? Why didn't you really see that the market is changing? So why did you accept it or understood it so late? There is a reason, and that's a real reason I believe. At the same time, I was established a module, uh, this LRI, which I mentioned before, came to me and said, look, we send this invested in a company in Israel called Tower Semiconductor. Tower is a fab. Fab comes from fabrication. It's a factory where you manufacture chips. It's a, it costs fortune to build such factories. At that time, Tower, uh, before that time, Tower uh, raised billion dollar to build a new fab, and the, and the company was really failed, totally failure. Uh, so, and I, I said, hey, Eli, I, I heard about them. I, I don't believe. He said, do me a favor. Go to meet the CEO. This is the northern part of the country, a city called Nidalemek. I went to see the, the, the CEO, which was already almost a year, full year of the company. And this is a guy called Russell. He's still the CEO, by the way. And Russell said, listen, uh, we are so close to go bankruptcy. Okay? I need somebody, German, that could help me. I don't know English. I don't know Hebrew, sorry. I know English. I don't know. He's American. I, I need somebody that could help me deal with the government, deal with stuff, give, you know, and uh, be my counterpart. And if no one will come, then we'll, you know, we'll shut the company. There are 1,200 employees at the company. Almost all of them are coming from this small village here, small city, town, called Migdala Emek. The whole town is going to be unemployed. I said, okay, I'll come. I'll come, no salary, no equity, no options. I'll come in my contract. I want it. It's going to be written very clear that I'm coming to help the company, $1 a year. And we did a turnaround. And this was really crazy turnaround because at the time I arrived, the company had no money to pay salaries. Every quarter they had to raise some money to pay the salaries of the previous quarter. There was no way. They had a loan from the banks of $400 million, which was overdue. And it took me time to understand it. It was obvious that they are selling with a negative gross margin. So you cannot say, hey, let's double the sales. You double the sales, you increase the loss. We found a way to do a turnaround, which is a story by itself. I won't go into it. But all of it was a distraction. And one of the lessons I'm giving entrepreneurs that are coming to me is if they think that they can do two companies at the same time, that's a mistake. Now, of course, some of them say, hey, but Elon Musk is running three companies at the same time. Or Steve Jobs. Steve was running Apple and Pixar at the same time. It's not exactly running both companies at the same time, but I said it's very simple. Your name is what's your name? Your name is Danny Yerushalmi. You are not Steve Jobs, and you are not Elon Musk. Forget about it. 
Do you know how tough it is to make it a success? Try very difficult. One company. Be focused in what you're doing. It's a very, very tough lesson that I learned. I hear you. Now, in your case, you know, you got started with angel investing, and that ultimately led into building what is today Grove Ventures. But in the process of uh, doing the angel investing, you realized that um, it was hard. It was really hard to uh, to make really, you know, anything, you know, in, 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 in that regard, because, you know, perhaps, you know, you didn't have the power or you didn't have, you know, the ammunition to, uh, to really do things. And you felt it was a mistake. Why was that the case? Well, uh, generally, uh, I did my, my, uh, my investments. At some time, I tell you this, it's a very nice story. I, think. Uh, time, I have a lawyer, which I'm working with uh, for the last 25 years. He's like my brother. Uh, he's amazing. He's, uh, can I say his name? Go for it. Ranan Lerner from uh, Meta office. And, and Ranan one day came to see me. Until today, he's, sometimes he just come and we have a great conversation. We have a lot of activities. So Ranan came to see me and said, you know, though, I love you very much. I, I, de- I do see all your investments. And I think that you are a very good investor. I see what, how you invest. I see how you are dealing with the companies, which no one else does. But you pick the companies from the guys who are coming to you. And these are guys that maybe they are great B. Maybe they're B plus, some of them are C or D. Even if you pick the best ones from them, you don't really get to know or get to meet the guys which are A. And in order to succeed in your event, you need to invest in the guys who are A plus. And these guys don't know about your activity. You know, your engine. You know many, many people in the country. You know all the people who worked at M Systems and Modern and Tower and the Navy. And but it's not enough. So I took a, I, I went to a mountain, really, I went to a mountain in Switzerland at the off season where there are no people. I, I, I went there by, by myself, no, without my wife and children, without anybody else. I actually, I even didn't use the phone, almost didn't use the phone. I wrote a book, uh, 100 Doors, and I thought about, and every day I did a walking of about a, a two to three hours. Uh, and first of all, it was amazingly well for me, for my, I think it's for my, my spiritual health. Uh, I prepared my food. There was no, no restaurants open. This was off season, no restaurants. I was almost the only one in the city, the small, uh, small town called Wengen. And I thought about, a lot about, uh, about, uh, what I do and how I do it. Am I happy with what I'm doing? Is that the right way to succeed? I went down from the, went back to Israel after the four weeks and said, I told my guys that I was working with, let's, let's make a, let's say, let's make a venture capital fund, which will be different. Not exact, not like the others. There are many venture capital funds in Israel, but we want to do something which is early stage, deep tech, deep technology, all the hard stuff that other VCs don't like. They don't like semiconductors. We are going to invest in semiconductors. Space, we'll do space. Cloud infrastructure, move on. Um, physics, quantum, uh, energy. And that's what we are doing. And it works very, very well. A lot of, many people were very suspicious. Many people told me, hey, Dov, you are, you're an entrepreneur. Mm, you are not an inventor. It's exactly the opposite. By the way, I don't think it's the opposite. I think that many of the good, not all, but many of the good, 
investors are entrepreneurs, beginners entrepreneurs, went through the, the hurdles, the difficulties, the disappointment, the hard life of entrepreneurs, and therefore it gives them tools that others don't have of understanding the entrepreneurs, understanding the process, understanding uh, the needs that the entrepreneurs uh, have of how to go, how to get in contact with the right strategic partners, uh, how to establish themselves uh, as the leaders in the market, despite the fact that they are not leaders, they are too small to be leaders. But uh, that's what we are doing in the last years in a very, very successful way. And now 600 million under management, 35 investments. Uh, now, obviously, the, the question that comes to mind is, now you've been an operator, you've been an investor also. Let's say if I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, I bring you back in time to maybe 1989 when you were thinking about doing something of your own, coming out of the army. And let's say you are able to give your younger self one piece of advice, one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Well, it's a, it's a very good question. Uh, first of all, I would go to, I would choose and do the, exactly the best I was doing. I would go to establish a company. Well, if I would go there, I would invent the USB flash drive a bit earlier. <laughs> I did it, oh, establish the company in 1989, but the, the idea of the USB flash drive came to my mind only in 1998. So I would say, I would tell Dr. Morani back in 1989, hey, you can invent something small and plug into the USB. I call it USB flash drive. Yeah, could, could be great. Uh, but uh, basically, I would uh, I would tell the young Dov Moran that he, he should raise money. He should raise money earlier. He should not be concerned of the big monsters, Intel, uh, SanDisk. Uh, he should focus earlier on the ideas of how to make strategic relations with uh, with competitors or with colleagues, with suppliers, yeah, and, and, and make it much, much earlier before I did it. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm sometimes, you know, giving it advices is, is not the right thing because there is time for everything. And, and you have sometimes to learn from your own mistakes. Absolutely. Now, for the people that are listening, especially for those entrepreneurs that are maybe doing stuff in deep tech, cloud infrastructure, like really complex, you know, stuff like quantum and so forth. What is the best way for them to reach out and say hi, Dov? Well, first of all, we do invest only in Israeli companies. So not, and, and let me explain, not because we think that all the wisdom exists in Israel. I can prove you that this is totally incorrect. Yeah, I have very good proof, trust me. Um, our concept is working with the companies. I I do meet my my guys, the companies I'm investing in, relatively quite a lot. <clears throat> I do want to see them face to face. And when I invest in Israeli company, the most important part of investment, by the way, it's not for us, for everybody. I think it's people. How are the people? How good they are? How smart they are? It's not just what's the IQ, it's more, what's more, what's the EQ, or even more important, what's the AQ, the adversity pushing. How can they withstand all the difficulties, this long marathon, ultra, ultra marathon, with those many hurdles and, and, and problems? And I do not have the ability to read correctly, 
Americans or Chinese or Japanese, uh, because it's different culture. In Israel, I know the people. I can, in a very short time, tell you whether these are the right people or not. And most, more important, I can very easily get into the, I, in Israel, every entrepreneur, it, I know it sounds crazy, but <clears throat> it's, I, I, I showed it before, with every entrepreneur that would come to me, I know the entrepreneur, or I know somebody who knows the entrepreneur. So the chain of connection, which is treated six, very generally, I, I don't remember who made this, uh, this uh, number, and what research was there, but that's a number that is known in the world. In Israel, it's one. Every entrepreneur, there'll be one guy that I know that knows him. And I, I can easily get to people who served with him in the Navy or the Army or work with him at Checkpoint or, uh, or Google and ask, how is it? And by the way, Israelis, that's for good and bad. Israelis are very open. You ask about somebody who worked with you, and you can uh, you can get answers like ah he's a, he makes an impression like a very smart guy but he's stubborn it's very difficult to work with him and, and you know these kind of things I cannot do when I invest out of Israel yeah so the the degree of separation I totally hear you well hey Dov it was a pleasure to have you on such an honor thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Dealmaker Show today. Wonderful. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.